start of the service. This uh, Saturday, we're going to have a, a funeral service for Grace Harris here at 11 a.m. And also, the books that you received on your way in are meant to be a blessing to you and your family, to you and your household, uh, to those that you'd like to gather around and go through Advent readings with. So please make use of those, but one per household, please. A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself, yet properly understood remains true. And the Bible is filled with paradoxes, which often prove to be surprising keys to the Christian life. To name a few, the Bible says that wisdom is found when we admit our ignorance and submit to God and His Word. The Bible says that those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God will at the proper time be lifted up. The Bible also says that Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Each of these paradoxes can only be properly understood when we rightly understand and relate to Jesus Christ. And that could also be said of the paradox we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In this text, you see that our suffering as believers is God's model for ministering comfort to other believers in their suffering. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And as you do, let me explain what I mean by the word ministry. Ministry simply means service. It's serving others in wise and loving ways. It's helping and caring for them in their time of need. Now, there are many ways we can be helpful to others in word and deed, but at ground level, ministry is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's relational people work. And wise ministry, as Scripture shows often, wise ministry is always to be personal, whether it's public or private. Because we're relaying the personal presence and words of the personal God to real people in real life. But let me also remind you that serving others is sacrificial. Ministry is a lot of things, but one thing it isn't is convenient. It's going to cost you. It will cost you the sacrifice of your time, your money, your energy, your very self for the well-being of another. Ministry at its best does this as it takes its cues from Christ who did this for us, right? Now, to sacrifice and serve others like that sounds hard enough on the best of our days, doesn't it? But today's passage says that God's model of ministry is done in our suffering and the suffering of others. In other words, God intends for ministry to take place in and through us even on our worst days. In our afflictions, meaning our pain, troubles, and suffering. Surprising, isn't it? It's a paradox. God's model for ministry to the church, in the church, and through the church is suffering. 
That's the paradox we'll see today. And as we'll see, suffering does a lot of things. And one of the things it does is it trains us for ministry like no book, seminary course, or pep talk can. It's probably not how you choose to learn about ministry. But this is God's pattern and paradigm for doing ministry in and through our lives. Suffering. And what's refreshing, I think, is that God doesn't waste our suffering. Rather, he refines us through it and reuses it in order to use us to serve others in their suffering. It's a cycle. And what I love about this passage is that it's sent to a church, not just to its leaders. And it's sent to the Corinthian church of all churches, which had a significant issue or two. Which means that the kind of serving and ministry it's talking about in this passage isn't just for the elders and deacons in the church. It's not just for church leaders. Nor is it for perfect, mature Christians in the church. It's for every Christian who has the Spirit of God and has experienced His mercy for themselves. Now, I'd like to read the passage in full before we take it apart verse by verse. So, look with me at verse 3. The passage says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What a passage. David Pallison says this passage radically orients the way we do ministry. Here's how he sees the passage explaining the ministry cycle of comfort from one believer to another. He says, you become truly helpful to someone else by finding for yourself the kinds of comfort that every other struggler actually needs. True skillfulness intimately knows the common language of human experience. True skillfulness intimately knows the relevant language of God's mercies. May God be praised for the in-person immediacy of his mercies and for how his comforts cascade from him to us, from us to each other. Now, I can't think of a more appropriate passage to sit under today as a church because many of us who knew Grace Harris are feeling sorrow 
and grief over her death today. And I believe God's word has arrived on time for us, church. So let's allow his word to comfort and strengthen us so we can do the same to those around us. That's where we're going today because that's where the text goes. Today we'll see that God comforts believers in their suffering so they will comfort others in their suffering. God comforts believers in their suffering so they will comfort others in their suffering. Now let's pray together first. Our Father in heaven, we really want to hear from you today. We want to know the ways in which your spirit works in us and through us so that we could be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church and around us in our lives. So please fill us with your spirit, give us knowledge, give us wisdom, give us a desire to know and obey your word today. And I do pray also that you would draw people to your son Jesus through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to see how the mercies and comforts of God reorder our thinking about our own suffering and the suffering of others. While there's no one passage in Scripture that says all there is to say about ministry, this passage is as good as any to think about how to serve our fellow Christians in the context of their afflictions, meaning their sufferings. Paul speaks to the church in Corinth here as a fellow sufferer seeking to comfort them in their suffering. Now, this is important because as biblical counselor Mike Emlett says, Scripture gives us a mature model for ministering to other Christians that's not one size fits all. He suggests that when we seek to serve other Christians, we should approach them as fellow saints, sufferers, and sinners. And we're to love them as they struggle with their identity as saints. We're to love them as they struggle with their sin. And we're to love them as they struggle with their suffering. All the while recognizing that we struggle with such things too, to different degrees, don't we? Maturity in ministry has more than one tool and more than one tone for helping people. Because people aren't always struggling with the same thing or to the same degree. So skillful ministry varies its approach to people based on many variables. That's how God ministers to us. He both warns and woos. He commands and he calls. And as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, ministry is approaching all people with patience, though with different priorities. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. One of God's purposes in our suffering is to mature us to maturely minister to others around us. And mature ministry finds fitting ways to strengthen others in the Lord as we find fitting ways to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Mature ministry thinks of other Christians as people who struggle with many things at the same time. Struggling with sin, absolutely. Struggling with their identity as Christians, absolutely. And also struggling with suffering. The same is true of us. We struggle with these things, don't we? Now, if you know people who are suffering right now and you don't know what to do and how to help them, 
But you know that the gospel applies to their sorrows, their sadness, and their suffering as much as it does to their sin and their identity. I'd encourage you to internalize and carefully apply this text to your heart today. The first thing we see in this passage is that God comforts believers in their suffering so they will turn to comfort others in their suffering. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul begins with a doxology. He starts by praising God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He blesses his name. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, which means he has compassion on the brokenhearted and the beaten down. Remember Isaiah 57. Here God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He is high and lifted up absolutely. He is holy absolutely and he is present with the lowly as well. God's Comfort means his constant strengthening and refreshing believers in their specific pains and troubles. And how do we receive this comfort? It's God's presence by his Holy Spirit that strengthens and encourages us in the middle of our afflictions. And God's mercies stand for his limitless compassion for his people who suffer. His mercies never dry up or run out. They never cease Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. Which tells us that we have access to his mercies today. It means that the father of mercies is actually available to us today in whatever ails us. He is the source of mercies and he is the God of comfort to his people in their struggle and suffering. I think we must understand that if we're going to understand the rest of the passage. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort is the source of comfort in our ministry to others. If we're going to have a ministry of comfort to others around us, we must understand that the God of all comfort is the source of the true comfort in which we intend to serve others with. He is the God of all comfort. Now, with that in mind, we're going to see how the God of all comfort works in and through his people in order to create a wonderful cycle of receiving and giving his comfort. Look at verse 4, where we see that the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by who? By God. The word comfort is repeated in this passage ten times, which means it's a major theme in the text. But what does Paul mean when he says comfort? I don't think it means what I mean when I'm talking about getting comfortable on the, ch- on the couch with a bag of chips watching football, right? This comfort has got to be different than the kind of comfort I'm talking about because Paul isn't talking about a comfort that comes from a couch, He's talking about a comfort that comes from God and comes to us not when we're at ease on the couch, but it's a comfort that comes to us actually when we're in affliction, suffering, 
So what does it mean to receive and share God's comforts in our suffering? Listen again to David Pallison, who says, God's comfort is unusual. He doesn't make life easy. He doesn't take struggle and hardship away. He even adds the pain of caring. But our Father's comfort actively strengthens you in the midst of weakness, pain, and need, so you can take heart and take action. We have very good reasons for feeling vulnerable and overwhelmed. But God's forms of comfort give better reasons to live with courage, humility, and purpose. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort heartens us when we feel disheartened. He encourages us so we become able to encourage others. To be truly comforted deepens your faith, anchors your hope, nourishes your love, and elicits your joy. Those finding comfort in their particular afflictions can comfort those facing any affliction. So we who've received God's mercies and been comforted by God's presence in our suffering are to turn around and minister God's very comfort to others like us. Who suffer like us. Notice why God comforts us. He comforts us so we can reciprocate his comfort to others. So believer, God's comfort in your suffering isn't meant to end with you. It's not to terminate with you. We are not to be pools, but pipes channeling God's love and comfort to others around us. Our ministry, our service of comforting others is meant to flow out of our relationship with God based on the sacrifice of Christ into the lives of our fellow suffering believers. God's comfort of his presence and promises are to flow from God to us, fill us up, and overflow from us to others. This is ministry. It's like the water cycle, but it's the ministry cycle. So fill up on God's word, fill up on his spirit who comforts you so you can pour out on others. This was what God did in Paul's life, and I believe this is the pattern that we see in the text today. It's handing down to others the comfort that we've lived in and received from God. If you've been helped by the God of all comfort and his people in your time of need, you are to look around and help others in their time of need. You're enlisted in the ministry. You have work to do, and our afflictions all the while are discipling us. They're teaching us. They're training us to share God's comforts and mercies with others. So believer, what suffering are you facing today? Don't waste your suffering by only thinking about yourself in your suffering. Know that God has more in mind for you. Look around. God has a ministry for you. Your sufferings are meant to disciple you to be more compassionate to those around you who are going through tough times like you have. I've seen this in many of you here in this church. You have suffered and your heart has grown tender and sensitive to others in their suffering. And you move towards them. And you serve them. And you have a ministry of comfort to them. Let's keep that up. He's used your affliction your suffering as a platform to serve others. And I think he'll continue to do so as we look to him. Now notice one more thing here in verse 4. It says that God's comfort in your specific pain, your specific 
affliction qualifies you to minister to others in whatever pain they're in. Did you see that? It says, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. This passage doesn't say uh, that only a certain kind of affliction can qualify you for the ministry of God's comfort. It says that all our affliction, in all of our affliction, God has comforted us so that we can comfort others who are in any affliction. So you can throw yourself and your afflictions into this passage, whatever they are, name them, get specific. This passage tells us that our specific afflictions don't have to match another person's affliction to be helpful to them. We can comfort those who are in any affliction because we've been comforted in our specific affliction. This means that you don't have to become an addict to help an addict. This means that you don't have, a, have to have a history of abuse to minister to an abused person who suffers with post-traumatic stress disorder. You need to remain close to the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort to serve his comforts to others. You need skill, yes, but mostly you need the Spirit of Christ, the Comforter himself, to administer and minister comfort to others. Now, so far, the model of the passage is simple. We praise God who comforts us in our suffering so that we'd comfort others in their suffering. Now, verse 5 says, because we're united to Christ, we share and experience his suffering and share Christ, uh, a Christ's comforting as well. Verse 5 says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Speaking of this passage again, David Pallison says, The Son of God was afflicted to bring mercies and all comfort to God's children when they suffer and when they stray. The sufferings that Paul endured and that believers endure, even today, create a fellowship of suffering. We have a fellowship with Christ, who is the head of the body, but we have a fellowship with one another too, don't we? Our Savior is known as a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And we, his servants, are no greater than our master. If he suffered, we too will suffer with and like him. His suffering is the best example, I think, of this ministry paradox. And we Christians identify and imitate his sufferings as he identified and entered into our world of suffering. But we share in a fellowship, not just of suffering with one another in the church, but also a ministry and a fellowship of comfort. And this means that when we suffer, Christ mercifully notices us and moves towards us to comfort us. We enjoy his Spirit's comforting presence and filling even in our sufferings. Which is encouraging because that means that in your sufferings, God is not done with you. He hasn't turned his back on you. We enjoy his Spirit's comforting presence as he fills us. So believer, hear this. Jesus is not detached or neglecting you in your suffering, in your pain. He sees, he knows, he cares. Though it may not go away right away, God is not done working in and through you, even as you suffer. Though you don't have words for the depths of the suffering, Jesus' mercy runs deeper still. So, dear Christian, are you in a dark night of the soul right now? 
Remember Jesus, who suffered too. He knows suffering. He knows you and your suffering. He cares. He comforts. He draws near. Are you grieving? Run to him in your grief for comfort. If you're a believer, you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. So though you feel alone in your pain, remember you're never truly alone in your pain. Christ is in you. You are in him. So turn to him when you suffer and receive his comforts afresh. Now let's look at verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So Paul's showing us how this fellowship of suffering and comfort worked out in his ministry to this church. His suffering and his ministry resulted in them being comforted through him and actually being converted through the message that he declared. They were saved because he brought the message of Jesus to them. He physically brought them the gospel, and they saw that in his life and ministry, he advanced the message of Jesus through many of his own sufferings. <laughs> you can read about it in the book of Acts in chapter 11 of this book, 2 Corinthians. But as you look at the life of Paul, you see that suffering was a, a, a catapult to ministry and bringing and advancing the gospel of Christ. And it sounds like as a church, this, this letter landed on them as they were experiencing sufferings themselves. So his words here are a reminder to the Corinthians, a reminder to us, us to endure the same sufferings that Paul did as a fellow sufferer in Christ. And let's continue it. Look at verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Since they share in Christ's sufferings, they will also share the comforts that he gives his suffering people. So believer, if you endure sufferings with and in Christ, you will enjoy comforts with and in Christ too. So, getting specific, write it on your bulletin. In what ways are you afflicted today? Sleepless nights, heartbreak over breakup, heartache over the death of a loved one, persecution for, from friends or family members, stress, exhaustion, depression, you name it. The God of all comfort is enough to comfort every one of us in every one of our sufferings. None is too small or too big for him. He is the father of mercies and he meets us turns towards us and strengthens us right where we are in our weakness. Which means you can take your specific sufferings to the Lord and he'll extend his comfort and mercy to you, even today. So pray and ask for prayer before you leave. So we've seen so far that God is the source of comfort who comforts us in our suffering so we can extend his comfort to others in their suffering. And what else is God up to in our suffering? Verse 8 through 10 shows us that God comforts believers in their suffering so they will rely on him, not themselves. He's teaching us more. Look at verses 8 through 9. 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, scholars aren't exactly sure which event he's referring to here, but it's clear from the New Testament that Paul was a man who suffered a lot. And as I already said, you can read more about it in the New Testament. But here he says that there was a time when he and his traveling companions who were bringing the gospel around the world were burdened beyond their strength, even despairing of life itself, which sounds like depression to me. And he calls this affliction a sentence of death. Now, whatever it is that they faced, they thought they were about to die from it. Now, why would he tell them this? And why would God bring such pain into Paul's life? The answer is, is that God was teaching Paul something. That pain was the classroom for him to learn to not trust himself, but to trust God who raises the dead. And I think in our pain, that's what God is up to as well. He's seeking to teach us to trust not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. A lesson none of us have outgrown, right? Look at verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul knew pain. He knew pain even as a Christian. Even as a Christian leader, he knew betrayal, he knew persecution, he knew the anguish of church politics and church conflicts, especially with this very church. And what did these experiences teach him? To rely not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. Pain was discipling him, and pain is discipling us. It was training Paul to go deeper in his commitment to Christ, And I think ours is to do the same as well. Going deeper into our trust and commitment to Jesus. So have you been in a situation before when you couldn't solve a problem? Instead, you had to rely on someone else to do it. Maybe you had to pay someone to fix something at home that was broken. The sense I get from this passage is that Paul's pain was so deep that he was forced to turn his eyes to the Lord. He could find help nowhere else. And so his pain was teaching him to trust God and pray like nothing else could. Now is our pain doing the same for us? Teaching us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10 continues, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. One of the paradoxes in this passage is that there is hope for us in our moments of deepest suffering and despair. Because God is with us. Hope is the emotional strength that God gives us to persevere in and through pain because we're confident of better things to come. Here's what Paul learned through his affliction. That the God who delivered him from the deadly peril in Asia, whatever that was, will again deliver him. He is the Deliverer, the Redeemer, the Savior. The same one who graciously delivers believers from temporary pains in this life is the same one who saves believers from the eternal pain of hell in the next life. His name is Jesus. He is the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior still. 
And we, like Paul, are meant to set our hope on him and to declare with confidence that the one who delivered us from the lesser dangers in our lives will deliver us again from the greatest dangers, death, hell, and sin. He is still in the business of saving and delivering and rescuing and redeeming. So if you're here today and you haven't surrendered to Jesus to save you from your sin, maybe you're in a season of suffering yourself. Look to Jesus. Today is the day. Be saved. Believe that he is Lord, that his death is enough to save you, and that his resurrection life is enough to keep you. Let his spirit make you new. Be freed from the deepest burdens and afflictions of your life, sin in your heart. Call on Jesus today. If you want to talk more about this, please find someone before you leave. Now, the last thing we'll see in this passage is that God comforts believers in their suffering so they will help others in prayer. Look at verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. With his hope set on the Lord Paul now asks the church to help him, to help him in prayer. Paul says, you want to help me as I suffer? Pray for me. You want to help others in their suffering, fellow Christian? Pray for them. If you need help in your suffering, Christian, ask for prayer. Because I don't know about you, but I often find that in suffering, it's hard to pray. It's hard to pray, sorry. We are to help sufferers deeply when we listen to them and then when we pray for them. That is major help. And notice here, Paul isn't embarrassed or too proud or ashamed to admit that he needs their prayer. We shouldn't be embarrassed about it either. We need prayer. And when we experience answered prayer, we will share it and give people the opportunity to thank God. Thank you for praying for me. God has answered your prayer. Now notice what he says. Help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. His response to their prayers would result in thanksgiving, widespread thanksgiving. Many would give thanks to God because the faithful people of God prayed. Have you experienced this? Having God's people pray for you in your trials? And it's one way that God ministers comfort and mercy to us, doesn't he? By having people pray for us and experience answer prayer. Mike Emlett says, listening and learning the contours of people's struggles leads to honest prayer. This is especially important when others may not feel as though they have the strength to pray for themselves. Bring people to Jesus by praying for them. So believer, are you hurt? Are you hurt so deeply you can't find words to express it? Have you asked for prayer? If you don't feel spiritually fresh right now in your suffering, don't be embarrassed. Just ask others to call on God for you. Admitting our need is a spiritually mature move. So don't be shy to ask for prayer around, around here. <laughs> We're all needy. And we feel that neediness and weakness acutely, especially when we're suffering, don't we? So let's ask for prayer. 
Now, as we close, church, a couple questions for us. Are we grieving today? Are we suffering? Afflicted in any way? Those of us who've been strengthened with the mercies and comfort of God have a ministry to others in the church. You have work to do. We'll have a ministry of comforting and encouraging others in the days to come, I believe. So let's stay close with the Father of mercies and God of all comfort so we can share his comfort with others in their afflictions and in their time of need. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize that 